On today's edition of Bench Bros, LSU wins the College Football National Championship. Are they the best team of all time? We analyze the NFL Divisional Round and preview the Championship Sunday, and the MLB comes down hard on the sign-stealing scandal. All that plus more on Bench Bros. Let's go! Welcome to this edition of the Bench Bros Sports Podcast. We're glad you could join us today as we are a bunch of sports junkies debating about the hottest topics going around in the world of sports. I'm your host, Wes Display, and joining me today are football coach Roy Dennis and back for another one, Corey Zimmerman, Fox Sports producer from Baltimore. What's up? What's up hey, Wes? man. Hey, man. Okay, come on. You guys got to be <laughs> excited to talk here, man. Hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to jump in. Like, I've, I've, been, I've been looking forward to this for – for a couple of days now, so I'm ready to roll. A couple of days, he's been pumped up. Well, how about you, Corey? How's everything going? Oh, great, man! I start my first day tomorrow at Fox. Pretty pumped. Uh, lots of baseball news going on, and I think we can talk about that for forever, honestly. Yeah, I work at MLB Network, and that's what's been cycling around. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm gonna have to defer to you two gentlemen on the. Uh, on baseball, that's that's not my strong point, but I've, I've been seeing the news rolling around, so I got some opinions on that. All right, well, first things first with the college football national championship that was on Monday. LSU came roaring out. They were behind for a little bit, but they were able to battle back. Trevor Lawrence had a struggling day from the field, but Joe Burrow was fantastic as the Heisman Trophy winner. As LSU won their fourth national championship in school history by defeating the Clemson Tigers 42 to 25. Um, Ed Orgeron gets his first title after bouncing around a bunch of coaches. And this LSU team becomes the first um, college football national champion to beat the top five out of the top eight opponents on their schedule. The best resume of all time, certainly. Um, Guys, what do you think of the game? What were some key points of the game? And do you think this could be the best team ever in college football? Well, from what I saw – uh, what Joe Burrow has done as a body of work. I don't know if I'm ready to go as far as to say that this was the best team in college football history, but I am willing to go out on, on the branch and say, I think what Joe Burrow did was probably considered the best individual single season by any college football player ever. I think it might be a close, a close second would be Cam Newton, but I was just, I was absolutely amazed with what Joe Burrow was able to do. He wasn't throwing 60 touchdowns against, Mountain West opponents. He wasn't playing against Hawaii or, or any non-Power 5 schools. He was doing this in the SEC West against the Alabamas of the world, against the Clemsons, uh, in crossover conference play with Texas. I mean, I've, I've got to step back and say I really think this might be the best individual college season by a player. Yeah, guaranteed uh, not best team ever in college football. Um, you know, there was some really, really great Alabama teams. Even last year's Clemson team, I thought, was um, just as equal as LSU's team this year. Um, you know, if they didn't lose all those defensive pieces in one year, I think they win the national championship this year if they, if they didn't lose those pieces. But as Roy alluded to, best single season by a quarterback, I think hands down. Um, the way he dominated, dominated uh, every single game, 
the Georgia game, the game against Oklahoma in the semifinal, having seven touchdown passes in, in the first half alone was just outstanding. And I, I don't think you could – I mean, there's a couple of other players you could probably compare his season to, but honestly, I don't really think you can argue much for another person other than Joe Burrow. Yeah, definitely the greatest quarterback to ever – do it statistically. I mean, it is ridiculous the numbers he literally put up. Six, 60 passing touchdowns. That is unbelievable for a quarterback in that SEC to even put up. And now, I've granted, the SEC defenses have been awful as of late. But still, it's very impressive. Just to go to see how many passing yards he even threw, it was 5,766, I believe. The second most of all time. And then his completion percentage was 76% on the season. Now, that's very hard for an offense that's throwing the ball quite a bit. So he, he has the nice touch on the ball. His leadership is great. They call him Cool Joe in Louisiana. I don't think he has to pay for any jambalaya ever again. Same with Ed Orgeron. But, hey, man, it, it was a great season. I wouldn't say it's the best for all players, because, I mean, Reggie Bush in 2005 was electric. I mean, that guy was crazy. If he didn't do this stupid lateral in the national championship game against Texas, I think it would be it would have been the greatest season for a college football player. I think i got to go with you there. I, yeah. I was, I'm going based off of Heisman Trophy winner, national champion, undefeated with those numbers. I, I agree with you. If, if Reggie Bush had been able to – you know, not not create that turnover against Texas. We'd be having a different argument right now. But fact of the matter is, everything Joe Burrow did just just pretty much worked for them this year at, at every single stage. Now, Wes, remind me, just so that way I can refresh my memory. The game against Texas was Texas still in the top ten at that point in the season? I believe yeah. they were. Believe yeah, they were, they were number at the nine time. at the time. And yeah. this and this is where. That statistic that you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, I really don't think makes a whole much of a, much of a difference. Yeah, they played top 10 teams throughout the season. They beat a lot of top 10 teams. But, okay, look where Texas ended up at the end of the season. Alabama was outside of the top 10 at the end of the season. Um, it's College football is starting to become what college basketball is now, and it's becoming more balanced it there's no real one dominant team um a lot of these teams are getting big time recruits across the board where now a lot of teams can compete you see the sec now where lsu is now picking up pace in the recruiting process alabama might be losing a step or two although you know they're still going to be in the top five every year in a recruiting class but every year now you're seeing teams like a texas and, you know, an Auburn, uh, a Penn State, you know, Michigan's always going to be up there. But college football now is starting to trend that way, like college basketball is, where everything's so balanced. And right now with you, what you see in college basketball, there's no one dominant team. And I think in a couple of years, you're going to see that with college football, too. Yeah, let me just uh, quickly uh, ramble off about Joe Burrow's accomplishments, because it's ridiculous, just this year alone. All-SEC first team, SEC Offensive Player of the Year, anonymous first team, All-American, uh, Manning Award finalist, Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award winner, David O'Brien Award winner, Walter Camp Award winner, Maxwell Award winner, AP National Player of the Year, Heisman Memorial Trophy winner. I mean, that that is crazy. Just this, 
ramble off. He, that's at least 10 awards right there for just one guy. And I think, I think my favorite uh, accolade that came for the Burrow family, I guess, overall this year was at the beginning of the season, Joe Burrow was a real long shot in Vegas to win the Heisman. I mean, real long shot. I mean, he, he was, was okay last season. He was a six-rounder. Yeah, and then his father was the only one to place like a huge bet on him in Vegas to win the Heisman before the season. So that, that's, got to, that's one of my favorite things to see was a father <laughs> who has that much confidence to be the only one and then, and then hit a home run and, and just get nail it. He was right. Now, I would have to say about the competition that, yeah, it's kind of getting dimmed out. Like we see what's happening with the ACC. Um, it's kind of top-heavy in the Big Ten, but you still got a bunch of good teams around there. The Big 12 is, you know, Oklahoma and Texas, and then a bunch of others. Baylor had the one good year. Then you got the Pac-12, where it's usually Oregon, and then sometimes USC is just falling off the map. I can't explain that. Then the SEC, they only have the top five teams, and then everything else is kind of garbage. Like the yeah, Mississippi I mean, teams, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. Like, I, I love the fact that they beat all these AP top 10 teams throughout the season. But, again, you have to look at it realistically where some of these teams ended up. Like, Texas is on – they went unranked at the end of the season. They got a no-name bowl game. Yeah. And they, they had, what, six or seven wins on the season. Like, that's a down year for Texas. And, and yeah, I know a lot of people were high on them coming into the season. But – Again, realistically, was Texas an, an AP te- uh, top 10 team? I mean, yeah, I know at the beginning of the season they were, but, y- you know, you just got to look at the r- realistic factor. Well, let me say this. They beat the preseason top four teams, Clemson, Oklahoma, Bama, and Georgia. So no other team has ever done that before. Okay. The that, top four. <laughs> that, yes. Okay. It's the best resume that, that you can put up to. But, like, yeah. as best team, I don't know if they beat the 0-1 Hurricanes. I mean, that team was absolutely stacked across the board. Everyone's seen the U Part 2 documentary. Um, I think the Texas team of 05 was great. And I can't remember the Nebraska teams back then and the Texas Oh, 95 Nebraska team. Just and the Notre Dame team. People. I mean, Roy, you're a Notre Dame fan. Those – those teams have like great history back in the day. Oh, for sure. With Eric Parsegian and Newt Rockney and Lou Holtz. I mean, and they did it throughout different eras as well, which yeah. is what, what made what Notre Dame did pretty impressive. I mean, it's not, it's not quite the same now and it kind of breaks my heart a little bit, but those Notre Dame teams definitely like, those are lores. Like I've got a, a book that just paints them as legends. So if, if I, if, if we're not talking just progression of athletes, you know, because like the 1983 Penn State team, you could probably line them up against like a non-top 25 team right now, and they might not be able to handle it. But if you're just looking at body of work, what was accomplished during the season, I think I still got to go with 95 Nebraska as the best overall team. That team used to steamroll people with their, with their quarterback run game and, and the tough-nosed defense they had back then. It, I, I think that was a little different team. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about the game more, about this uh, their matchup with Clemson. Was there any takeaways about LSU's dominance? I mean, Joe Burrow, his deep balls looked so catchable. It was, like, so fluid and smooth when he threw the football. It was unreal. And they were down by 10 points, and 
LSU was like, okay, we can do this, and just come roaring back and take the lead in the second quarter. I, I think Clemson's uh, I think Clemson's experience might have helped them right out the gate because they didn't have the jitters. They they were there last year, and, and they took on the monster in Alabama because that's what Alabama was last season. People tend to forget the regular season. Yeah, Alabama, Alabama was five point favorites in that game. Yeah, and they, they were they were scoring fifty around fifty points a game with Tua throwing to Jerry Judy and Waddle and Rugs and and they had tailbacks coming out the wazoo. Najee Harris is and he's coming back next year, so look for them to still be pretty competitive. Obviously, they're Alabama, but last year's team when they headed into that Clemson national championship game, that I was I was very impressed with what Clemson was able to do, and I think they took that experience. And they weren't shell-shocked at the beginning. But LSU eventually gathered themselves, and they did what LSU does. They, they basically just outscore you. You have to be able to keep pace with LSU. Their defense was not, at any point, the strong part of their team throughout the season. But it was, they gave them just enough knowing that their offense was going to score almost every single drive they got their hands on the ball. Well, I mean, in a national title game, or even like a Super Bowl game, to score, Score 25 points is – you would think you're, you're going to win that game, scoring 25. But, man, as you said, Roy, LSU is going to score more points than you nine times out of ten. If you're not scoring close to 40, you're probably not going to win that game, and, and that's what LSU did. LSU did have those early game jitters, and then they finally started to settle down. But I think the thing that killed Clemson – was they started to get away from the run game, I thought, um, especially yeah. the read option at certain times. Trevor Lawrence and uh, in the semifinal game against Ohio State absolutely shredded Ohio State's defense. And in those first couple drives, you saw Clemson doing it to LSU, and I thought they kind of got away from that. Um, and Fair I point. know once, once LSU starts to pick up the pace and they start scoring, you want to put the ball in the hands of Trevor Lawrence and – you know, the season that he had throwing the ball, you know, it wasn't a great season, but you still trust him enough as a sophomore to be able to get the ball to the wide receivers. And, and he just had a really off night and you're going to have those nights. And um, it's a shame because Lawrence is such a great quarterback. He's got a bright future, but in a, in a state at a stage like that, you got to be on point. He just wasn't He'll learn from it, definitely. I mean, every great quarterback has an off game. Andrew Luck wasn't uh, undefeated his whole time at Stanford. So, you know, a lot of overthrows, I would say. It looked a lot like he the ball was coming out um, a bit wobbly at times. It looked like he didn't have a good grip on the football. It, it was just really weird. I think what bit Clemson in the ass essentially was they were bringing eight or, eight or seven guys on the blitz and Joe Burrow was just eating that alive down the middle and taking advantage of the one-on-one matchups that he had. I mean, Jefferson and Chase were really phenomenal all year for him. They were great NFL first-round wide I say they're better than Landry and Odell Beckham when they were at LSU. Way better. The first, they're the first uh, collegiate teammates. I mean, you can fact-check me on this. I'm pretty sure I, I heard this on uh, on one of the sports shows that I was listening to afterwards. They're the first... Uh, collegiate teammates to ever both go over 1300 yards in a single season so (laughs) i mean that that's just unbelievable especially since you only play i mean they played 15 games this year that's not even a full regular nfl season so the numbers that they're averaging 
just put them through the roof. But I, I just want to say where I think Clemson really might have hurt themselves was they unequivocally, in my mind, have the best tailback in the nation, in Travis Etienne. And oh, he's a stud. Yeah, and he only carried the ball 15 times. It, the, the only way, if you're not going to be able to play great defense against LSU, which that's nothing to be ashamed of because nobody really has all season, you got to play the keep-away game. And, yeah. and you milk the clock. And with the tailback like Eddie. They were playing coffin corner for a while there in the first quarter. <laughs> yeah, it was working. Like five and six. And, and, they, and that's, what I was, that's what I was kind of saying to where they got away from the run game. It, it, with LSU's offense, if you can keep them on the sideline, you got to control time of possession. And, you know, with Lawrence and ETN, you know, either giving it to ETN or having Lawrence do a read option or RPO, whatever you want to call. I just, I didn't think they really executed enough. I thought they were throwing the ball a little too much in the, through the air. And, you know, they were getting those three and outs and LSU started carrying that momentum with a LSU heavy crowd and in, in the Superdome. Oh, there was orange there. You can see the orange in the. There, in yeah, the, there was a lot of orange there, but <laughs> you can't tell me there was. It was an LSU heavy uh, crowd there. Okay. Ed or Ed Ordron just in the state of Louisiana gets some kind of mystical magical power that just makes him unbeatable. I think it's the crawfish. It's the crawfish special. Exactly. If he can sense it, man, he, he, he's feeling good. Uh man, he you. I hear on um. There's another podcast I listened to, uh, part of my take with Bartstool, and they were talking about how uh, Ed Orgeron calls his son Ray Baker and uh, how he's the best friend. And he was like, you got to be friends with Ray Baker or bake your ass. Like, <laughs> this, Ed Orgeron's a character, dude. I love it. Hey, I always appreciate a defensive line guy going out. And I, I would play with that guy. Are you kidding? I'll play for him. For sure. And he was. it's crazy how many teams missed out on him. Like he was the head coach at USC, but I felt like they never really gave him a chance there. Uh, well, flat at Mississippi. Yeah, he did though. You're you're very right about that. He did. He's it's just sometimes you got to match up and be at the right place. I mean, it's about fit more than anything else with head coaching and players and stuff. But um, yeah, since uh, Joe Burrow, we've been glorifying him as probably one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. Um, how do you think he's going to fit with Cincinnati? You know, there's going to be a lot of speculation that he's most likely going to be the number one overall pick. It's just if Cincinnati is going to do the right thing and progress this young guy to not throw him to the wolves with that bad offensive line that they have. And it looks like AJ Green's going out the door and all they have essentially is Joe Mixon on that offense. What do you think about Joe Burrow possibly making Cincinnati a contender from years down the road? They're not contenders now, but what's the potential? It's going to come down to can Joe can Joe Burrow be patient with himself developing in the league? He's got to realize he's not going to throw seven touchdowns, six touchdowns a game in the NFL, and that's that's fine, especially for a guy who's coming in as a rookie. You should I I just personally think you should never put so much on on a rookie quarterback's plate. And the teams that have had success with rookie quarterbacks in the NFL who have gone to the, gone to the playoffs or won their division in the first year with, you know, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger back in 2004, those teams all had a couple things in common. Strong run games, strong, de- strong enough defenses, and they didn't put too much on their plate. They asked them to make 
certain throws in certain situations, and that helps their development along as long as they have good a good fit with them like that. And unfortunately, I don't see any of that in Cincinnati. Like I don't see a good defense. So I, I just hope he can be patient with himself and not try to do too much. Uh, to me, again, I, I think Cincinnati does take them, but it wouldn't shock me if they trade down, get a bunch of picks, and then try and tank for Trevor be Lawrence next year. That the stupidest move Cincinnati will ever do. Passing on the I'm telling you, it, it's up the road. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I know it's the perfect fit. It's the ideal fit, but I would not count it out. Um, I do think he does land with Cincinnati, though. Uh, he's going to have a struggling year because Cincinnati doesn't have anything. Um, and as Roy said, he's got to stay patient. I saw a poll on Twitter the other day and it asked, who would you rather have, or who do you think is going to have the most successful career in 10 years in the NFL? And it it was Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. And I, I automatically went to Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence is, is the prototypical quarterback, um, especially nowadays, 6'6", 225 pounds, and he can run the ball, he can throw. Joe Burrow, he's got a great release time. He, he reminds me a lot like Tom Brady, gets the ball out of his hands quick, but he's got to have the wide receivers that can get the separation. And, and that's the thing, is Cincinnati going to be able to build around him over the next three to four years? Yeah, I wouldn't say Tom Brady. I would say he's more like a Tony Romo. Not because they were number nine, but the way athleticism is similar. I think Joe Burrow's faster. The way they throw the ball is just nice and pure. You can say whatever you want about Tony Romo. Tony Romo's a great quarterback. He can complete the hell out of a pass. But I think Cincinnati should keep Andy Dalton for a year and keep getting pieces because – that Cincinnati offensive line was just a rotating mess of disaster. They couldn't keep anyone upright. They had the rookie, Ryan Finley, come in there, and he got absolutely smoked the whole time. So if you were to trade back, but I think that's so stupid if you do that. And no, I mean, Cincinnati's had a hard time getting fans to go out to their games. They're going to have a hell of a hard time if they trade away that first overall draft pick. But if they do trade it, Traded the Carolina Panthers, who Joe Brady already has a job with as an offensive coordinator. Start over with Joe Burrow, and you got Joe Burrow and Christian McCaffrey, and then you got DJ Moore, you got um, Curtis Samuel as receivers. That that's a playoff team. So traded to I them can, out of all I places. Th- I th- I think so, um, but and and it wouldn't be a hard transition for him as as you mentioned, Joe Brady there now is the. Offensive coordinator, coordinator, and then Matt Rule being the head coach now, uh, coming over from from Baylor, he you know will bring that college, I guess, atmosphere to the NFL with him, um, and that might be an easier transition. I don't, I wasn't expecting uh, Carolina, but I guess that could be a fit. I was thinking more along the lines of Miami, where Miami is starting to throw together some good pieces. And oh, yeah, not, boy, you're a Miami fan. That's right. I forgot. Right. And I, you're I, all over the map. Man, it, yeah. If, if the Dolphins found a way to trade up and get Joe Burrow, I've been saying for weeks, I don't know if you guys ever heard the, uh, the story of how they, they actually landed Dan Marino, but they, back in the 83 draft, they, they spread oh, a yeah. rumor that he was a co- an avid cocaine user. 
and he <laughs> fell down the boards and he went all the way to the 27th pet pick and the Dolphins took him. And I was like, hey, man, Dolphins, you might want to try to pull that again uh, if you can't trade up. I mean, they've got the picks to trade up, I believe. They've got three first-rounders yeah. this year. They've got – I mean, they've got – They need too much, in my opinion, to trade up, though. The offensive line took a hit after trading. Yeah, Wheeler but you can't, you can't tell me Cincinnati doesn't need even more than what Miami needs. I mean, look at that Cincinnati roster. It's, it's horrible. And at least Miami's got some young pieces that they've already have into their into their system. I think they got a a really nice head coach that's underrated in some ways, um, Brian Flores. And I think they could really develop something. I you know if they don't trade for Joe Burrow, I think it's going to be Tua potentially. It might not be that number four pick, but it could be in that middle first round. Well, they're picking at five, right? Yes, they four. pick at five this year. Oh, I thought it was four. The draft yeah, is so four. weird. I was talking with one of my coworkers about, you know, the first pick could be Joe Burrow is number one, the first pick. But, it, like, if Cincinnati screws that up, you know, it's their fault. But anyway, you look at two with Washington, three with Detroit, and four with the New York Giants, you have no idea what's going to happen because, like, the Chargers possibly are going to be in the market for a quarterback. You got Miami being in the market for a quarterback. You got the Carolina Panthers. Hell, maybe even the Patriots trade up for the quarterback and some of these uh, other playoff teams. And who knows? Maybe one of those teams that needs a quarterback at the top of the board trade for a Cam Newton, and the, and that's how Carolina moves up to get a Joe Burrow or a, a Tua or a Justin Herbert or you know so on and so forth. There's rumors that are now really starting to swirl. That oh, there's going to be ru- more rumors to come because no, we only got it, three it, more months. It's, it's looking likely that Cam Newton is not going to return to Carolina next year. Yeah, that's the biggest question mark. Roy, what do you I, think? I think, of, I think uh, just a kind of a wild card that we might not think about with Cincinnati is there's somebody right down the street who I think is actually the best player in, in, the, in the draft this upcoming year. That's Chase Young. Oh, man. yeah, Chase Young. Yeah, and, you're right. And I think we all remember Reggie Bush was a lock to go to Houston back in like 2005. And then oh who got taken God. ahead of him was DeMar- Mario, uh, Mario Williams, another yeah. edge rusher. So, the NC State Wolfpack. Woo! Ed- edge rushers are a, a huge commodity in the NFL because if you want to be able to play defense, you got to get after the quarterback. And I don't think we've seen a prospect do that like Chase Young has in a long, long time. I just, uh, as, as a defensive line guy, I think what everything he as does a tunnel is snake. beautiful. <laughs> as a tunnel snake. <laughs> Look what, and, and, I'll, and I'll say this because it just reminds me of a team that did it. Look at what San Francisco did for years and years. In the past three, four years, they went straight D-line at pick three, four, five, what, six, whatever it was. They had in the first round, it was a top 10 pick, and they went D-line, and now they're dominating teams up front because they have so much depth. They can rotate guys in. Nick Bosa is a, is a game record, but I think Chase Young is even a bigger uh, game record. And it was, As you said, Roy, it would not surprise me either if, if they do maybe even just trade back a, a spot or two or if they just take Chase Young at the number one pick. Well, there's a difference. Cincinnati doesn't have a quarterback. I mean, they're pretty much done with the red rifle. 
and I don't think Ryan Finley is going to be your answer for the future. That's so. what I'm saying next year. That's what I'm saying next year, Wes. Oh, for Trevor? Yeah, that's yeah. the biggest thing, you know. Um, does Trevor bounce back from this poor performance? I definitely think so. You know, he'll. I feel like he'll be better next year than any of his other years. I mean, th- this is the first loss this kid has taken. He's won 29 straight games. I'm sure in mm-hmm. high school he didn't lose that much either. So it's just going to be nuts to see the progression of Trevor Lawrence. And, well, right now the backup quarterback for Clemson just entered the transfer portal, which that transfer portal is becoming the second class of recruiting for college football. It's, it's becoming insane how easy transfer portals are becoming for the big schools. Yeah, I, I've just got to – for one, Clemson's 100% going to be – you can lock this in. They're going to be in the playoffs next year. They're the favorites right now to win the national championship for 2021. Yeah, with, with how weak the ACC is overall – I think like their toughest game that they usually they've played the last couple of years has been Texas A and M, who is sort of a middle of the ground SEC yeah. team. I think that contract done, contract's done because it's like the early matchup with the other conference, and like they do the the home and home. So I mm-hmm. think that's done. I I don't know who else they would play though. Yeah, I haven't seen what Clemson's schedule is next year, but if they can get through their non-conference schedule, yeah. once they get to the ACC, that they, they usually steamroll. Uh, they use they might struggle against one or two, like they have with Pitt and and North Carolina this past year, but they'll find they'll, they'll find a way to get through that schedule. Oh, Roy! Right. <laughs> don't. Oh yeah, count they play out in my, South Bend count, next year. Yeah. Don't. Don't count out my Tar Heels. I will count my upset. We'll count. (laughs) Hey, I love Mac Attack, baby. What Mac Brown has been doing there. That that I love. I love it. Yeah, Clemson at Notre Dame, like the first weekend. Oh man, I can't wait for that one. In South Bend, that's it's it's Notre Dame's chance to finally have like a statement win. And Ian Book is coming back. Ian Book's a great quarterback. I like it. He is. I was a little upset to see uh, Phil Jerovich uh, transfer. He's going to Boston College. Uh, he was a really talented backup, but I understand he wants to play as he wants to play as soon as possible. And Ian Book decided to come back, and he's he's a very underrated quarterback. He's always consistently around thirty-five touchdowns, always throws less than ten interceptions. Again, he just he's got the knock amongst Notre Dame fans of not showing up in the big games and not yeah. delivering when it really matters. Yeah, if I if I was uh, advising someone who has money for a future bet, I would bet Clemson to possibly win the national championship next year if the odds are in your favor. Because most of those guys are coming back too. That's a very young roster. I keep telling those guys they gutted their D line because they were it was full of all Americans last year, and now those guys got experience. They're coming back. They're going to be solid. And the the biggest part is their whole coaching staff has never left for like three years. Roy, you know as big as anybody, coaching is a big difference in football. And continuity of coaches is huge too. If you're working with the same, if you're working with the same coordinators and the same position coach, you are getting you're getting the experience in the system to the point where it should become second nature, which is what I tell the guys all the time. You've got you've got to learn this stuff until it's second nature, so then you're playing faster and you're not thinking about it. And that's exactly like you said. They've all got the experience now. They've been in that position meeting room for a couple years now. They're they're coming along. I mean, they had five sacks against LSU. You yeah. know, they they got after Joe Burrow a little Bring bit. Bring eight guys. <laughs> yes, Roy. Not only coaching continuity, but how about recruiting? When you go and talk to a recruit and say, "Hey, like, 
we're going to be here like that. That has to make a recruit really happy and, and comfort him on, you know, especially like a guy like uh, Venable, the defensive coordinator for Clemson. He is uh, he's a college football head coach. No How's doubt. He not a head coach. I don't know, but I'm telling you that continuity is going to help Clemson recruiting wise. You know what I mean? Because like Alabama is always losing guys. LSU this year, they just lost their defensive coordinator today. He's now the head coach at Baylor. Um, and they also lost Joe Brady. Uh, you know, it, if you can keep the same coaching staff, that's going to help you in, in the college level. Yeah, I got to step away for a second. Sorry, guys. Go ahead. Yeah, definitely. I would just say that that college football just really needs to change that um, targeting rule. That targeting oh, rule yeah. is so yeah. bad. And I don't see how people are so okay with it. <laughs> have never played a down of football. Ever. Yes. You eject I, I thought, somebody. Look, that's crazy. I, I felt so bad for Skolsky. Um, you know, he had no intent of, you, you know, trying to injure a player yeah, or anything. I get it, it's, it's the just, letter of the law. It's the yeah. helmet to helmet thing. But to eject somebody first at bat, that is yep. terrible. That, now, like, a play uh, in the semifinal game, LSU and Oklahoma. Yeah, that, I can't remember his name. Forty-four though. He, so linebacker that was that crosser. was yeah that was intent to lead with the crown of the helmet for a, a defenseless player, and that yeah. deserves an ejection. Where Skalski just going in to make a tackle on a play. Yeah, he had he led with the crown of the helmet, but. You can't sometimes control that, especially the how fast these players play nowadays. It's ridiculous, and I see and I see some of our old colleagues on Twitter debate like saying, "Oh, it's perfect. There's no problem. You guys are foolish. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. I'm coming in at 15 miles an hour. Well, 15. These guys are like 25 miles an hour the way they run nowadays. Are coming full speed, and it's just like he, it was game tackle. He had the good form." I mean, there's so many NFL – Reggie Bush had a problem with it. Pat Mahomes had a problem with it. Right. Roy, we were talking about the targeting call. Like, they got to change that whole ejection BS, dude. Like, they really do. Yes, yes. and it's, it's, it's affected all levels of college football. I can tell you, even at our small D2 level, uh, we're losing players for the rest of the game and then sometimes the first half of the next game, it just seems like, yes, targeting should be a 15-yard penalty. I understand that, but to be to, to take away a kid's whole, possibly like the very end of his season, like in a bowl game or a, a national championship, in a national title game, dude, it's just it's it's insanity to me that you could just decide it because of a bang bang play like that. I, I anybody who's ever played football will say, and indeed too, we don't have video replay, so you get burnt twice as much. <laughs> exactly. There's no there's no questioning there's no questioning it at that point. There's yeah. no questioning at that point. And it's just any football player will tell you nobody's ever la- – nobody's usually launching with intent like that unless you're Vontaze Burfitt. Oh, yeah, you can tell immediately when someone's being intent with, like, the helmet. Yeah, it, it, that's it's, – it's a bizarre rule to me. I'll never understand it, but these, these, this is what the higher-ups in the NCAA are, are doing. They have to change that rule. They absolutely have to. Or at least give them a like a warning penalty, you know, just like yeah, just like they watch your helmet right away, right away. You're ejected. There's no, 
even with unsportsmanlike conducts, you get two before you get ejected for a right. game. I don't know. Well, congratulations to LSU for being the national champions. Um, they're going to have a hard road to bounce back next year with a lot of players that seems like they're coming back for their senior years. So let's move to the other version of football, the more popular one. That is the NFL. A wild divisional round as the 49ers blinked out the Vikings and the biggest upset of all, the Ravens went down to the Titans. So how about them Titans, boys? And then you have Kansas City coming back after being down 24 to nothing in the, in the Chokers Bowl, essentially. Um, and Kansas City outright won that game, 51 straight points. And then the Seahawks and Packers was a nail-biter, but the Packers ended up blown, um, taking care of business against the Seahawks. You guys, did you take anything away from the divisional round um, going into Championship Sunday? And then we'll preview Championship Sunday after we recap the divisional round. I, I'd like to start with the biggest upset probably in NFL postseason history, just the, the difference level of, of talent, I thought. Man, the Titans are a different team ever since they started Ryan Tannehill. And how about you, Dolphins fan? <laughs> I am so listen, I will I will go on record. I have my tweet from 2016 showing support for Tannehill, saying this guy is not the problem in Miami. You bookmarked it. <laughs> Dude, I've got it. I've been proving proving it to people. One of one of the defensive linemen at, at BU that I coach, he's a big Titans fan. When the Titans fell to one and four, I told him you need to they, they need to start Tannehill. He's not going to blow you up with with forty touchdown passes, but he will find ways to win you football games. I'm just, just I, I just like to say I'm not right that often about uh, the NFL and making predictions, but I'm very very proud to say I've I've always been a big Tannehill supporter he, since his days in Miami. I, I've loved the guy forever. I never thought he was an I the issue in Miami. He had very little talent around him. Devontae Parker was not what Devontae Parker has become yeah. in his time. So I, I just want to give big props to him and Cameron Wake, both with the Titans. Hopefully they go to the Super Bowl, and hopefully he can host that, hoist that trophy in Miami. Oh, my gosh. How legendary would that be, you know? What about right you, Fox producer for uh, Baltimore? <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's kind of heartbreaking because I was – expecting to uh, be down in M&T Bank Stadium this Sunday to be covering that game. And uh, fortunately, I'm not doing that. So uh, anyways, Tennessee, how about Mike Vrabel? Ever since he took over that job, I knew right away he'd be a really good coach. I didn't know it, he'd be this good. I think Tennessee might go into Kansas City this weekend and, and upset uh, Kansas City. It, it wouldn't shock me. It, it wouldn't shock me because I truly think that Vrabel is going to have a game plan for that electrifying offense of Kansas City. They're going to see what the Texans did in that first quarter, uh, or yeah, what Houston did in that first quarter against Kansas City, and then they're going to stick to that game plan because whatever it was. Kansas City just clicked, and, and they – I know Houston had a couple turnovers that really helped Kansas City get back in it, um, and they got some easy touchdowns. They had, what, three touchdowns in, like, three minutes and 51 seconds, something crazy like that. So that punch. helps, but <laughs> – but, yeah, and, and, like, that helps and everything, but I think Tennessee is so disciplined, and Derrick Henry – 
I mean, you can't say enough about the guy. He's going to control time of possession for you. Yeah. And then, as Royce said, Tannehill's going to do the simple thing. He's not going to throw four touchdowns in this game. He's, he's not going to throw for 500 yards. He's going to make simple, easy passes that just move the chains and keep your offense out on the field. Titans Absolutely. are the first team in NFL history since 1972 to, to win two playoff games back-to-back, throwing for less than 100 yards in both games. Yeah. And you, you think about it, they could, in four straight weeks, they could beat all the division winners in the AFC. They beat the Texans in Week 17. They beat New England. They beat Baltimore. And they have the possibility of beating Kansas City this weekend. It's unheard of. But I don't know if you guys saw like Mike Vrabel going back to Mike Vrabel. He actually got ran over by the referee from looking at the scoreboard. I don't know if you got and he was mic'd up for it. Saw that. I saw that. I saw, I saw that. the gif a hundred times today. I, I was dying every time I scrolled by it. You know, to show that Mike Tomlin was the more athletic coach. You know, he just stepped out of the way from the referee, Ravens player, and stuff. And Mike Tomlin's a pretty smooth guy, man. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if he had some football moves in him still. No, yeah. I mean, that Titans team is – they got the juice right now, and they're definitely going to keep it close in Kansas City. They beat them early this year. You, yep. you can't count out the team who, who has the league's leading rusher. You never can, especially in the playoffs when it starts Roy, to get cool. he's your size. It's like you with a 4-3 speed. Like, yeah, I wish – honestly. I wish my two <laughs> – my 265 pounds looked like his 265 pounds, though. Yeah, yeah right? Um, I would just say, like, the, the Chokers Bowl, that was just unbelievable how Houston can just choke that up again. It, I don't get it with this Bill O'Brien fake punt thing. I didn't get that at all because Kansas City had all the momentum at that. I get it. You wanted the momentum back on your side, but Kansas City was ready for it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's always easy. It's always easy to criticize when it doesn't say, man. Work. I wish I wish I hadn't made that call, and it's tough. You're trying to find a way because yeah, you jump out, you feel great having all the momentum. You're up twenty four nothing in the first first quarter or, the, or early in the second quarter. You're feeling great, and everybody in the football watching world is thinking, "Here's Andy Reid again." Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the Chiefs, the playoff Chiefs. Here they come. I wouldn't have been surprised. I was expecting to see at least half a dozen screens called the rest of the game by Kansas City. I, just seeing him go back to his MO, and I, I was ready to count him out. And just another one of those moments where, like I said, I don't, I, I'm, I don't predict these sports right all the time. And I thought they were in the, in the water. I thought they were done. So prop, props to the Chiefs. I guess you can never really count out Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, Andy Reid's going to have to pull off the prime rib steak dinner for another time. So they're still in the playoffs. But, you know, everyone was fantasizing about how great Patrick Mahomes was that day. But I thought there was a better quarterback in Seattle that day that just absolutely carried the team on his back against Green Bay. Russell Wilson is the top three quarterback. He is one of the best quarterbacks right now. He's so underrated. It's ridiculous. Coming back from down 21 to three at halftime, I think it was. I don't even think they – was it six or three? It was something like that. And he was just scrambling around. And Green Bay's pass rush is really, really good with the Smith brothers. He was just running around, finding open receivers. DK Metcalf, the tight end, it was just brought off the block. Like, he was 
finding everybody, and they almost won that game. If the Green Bay did not pick up that first down, which was very questionable with the refs spotting it a whole yard and a half of where Jimmy Graham was down, Russell Wilson was going to get the ball back, and they were going to win the game. I couldn't doubt that guy anymore. What did, I t- what did I tell you last week, Wes? What did I tell you? Yeah, you told me. I got you. <laughs> I Stay, I mean, uh, the, the guy's got a, an aging Marshawn Lynch in the backfield with him. And I, I think, yeah, I mean, he had a rookie, rookie and DK Metcalf at the receiver. I just, rookie lineman. Yeah, I think he does more with less than, than any other quarterback in the league. How can you not, like, say this guy is the best quarterback right now? It, it's crazy what he's doing with literally scraps. Yeah, I got it. Right, come I, on, give give Carson Wentz a little credit. Come on, he he's had scraps all season too. But Carson uh, Wentz has a better offensive line than what Seattle. I, does. Yeah, I I know. I yeah. Know. Um, no, it, it is incredible what Wilson's been able to do. Um, Hollister made some big plays for them, and it, you know, I just I just knew some somehow some way. Rodgers was going to be able to pull this off. Yeah, I know the first down was very questionable, but it would have been a, it would have been a fourth down in what inches, maybe a yard. I know, I know, our math cowboy Jimmy disagrees with that a lot. But anyway, like, I, yeah, <laughs> I I think if it was a fourth down and one or inches, whatever it would have been, I think Green Bay would have stayed out on the field. Probably QB sneaked it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's how they would have won regardless. I don't think Wilson would have gotten the ball back. I mean, Russell Wilson literally got a guy who was working at Foot Locker and made him a star in Super Bowl Forty Nine. Like yeah. that, I forget that wide receiver's name, but he had like 100 yards receiving that day, literally made the play of the game, getting Seattle down to the red zone. It, it was spectacular to see Russell Wilson turning these – receivers into stars goes to show how great like a doug baldwin was doing doing it wasn't the Tom Brady, Jer- man. it wasn't, wasn't jermaine cursed was it oh was it jermaine cursed maybe no no he- no this kid was like only played like the super bowl and that was it not Jer- jermaine cursed had a career oh, I it was thought, number 13 um... i remember because jermaine cursed was uh 15 or something 15 yeah, yeah. No, yeah, Jermaine Kirk had that catch, though. I remember now. Yeah, Jermaine yes. was the one yep. that caught it. But the, cu- the catch that I thought they were going to definitely win that game with. <laughs> yeah, that Pete Carroll was just like, whoa, here you go. <laughs> well, anyway, let's go to conference championship Sunday with the Titans going into Kansas City. That'll be the first game at 3.05 on CBS. Man, Tony Romo was drooling at the mouth with the Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes game. Like, he was going crazy about it. But then also – uh, on the NFC side, you got the Green Bay Packers facing um, San Francisco 49ers. Whoever wants to go first, give their previews and picks. Go right ahead. Well, I, I got to say, I'm going to go on record right now. I think the the, fi- the final Super Bowl matchup we're going to see to me is the Chiefs and the 49ers. And I just think, starting with the Chiefs, I just feel like this is finally their time. Tennessee has been on a great run. They, they're traveling all over the country, being the last seed. So they've been on they've been on planes the last couple of weeks, and Kansas City's gotten to stay at home. It's going to be in Kansas City. It's going to be cold, hostile environment. I mean, we've all seen the Monday night games when they host like the Patriots early in the season. 
it's it's a hostile place to be. I, I just feel like this is it for Andy Reid. If it doesn't happen this year for him, I have a bad feeling it might never happen for him. And just going over to the NFC side, I have all I have a lot of confidence in a team that can get after the passer like the San Francisco 49ers can. When when Jimmy Garoppolo is going on record and saying, my ACL tear may have been a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I saw that. Quote. What a quote. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of people who, who think that way. And if, if there's a guy that you got with that pick because of such a down season that you're saying, all right, we'll take the ACL tear for this guy. I mean, that means you have, you have a lot of confidence in what he can do. And, and his confidence is well rewarded because Nick Bosa is a monster. Yeah. Corey, yeah, go ahead. I think I'm going to regret doing this. I, I want to pick Tennessee, but I'm not going to. And I know oh. I'm going to regret it. I, I really do. Um, I think Kansas City will win. Uh, it's, it was a magical run by Tennessee, but somehow, some way, Mahomes is is going to get that offense clicking, and Tennessee is just not going to be able to slow them down. Um, and then in the NFC, I got Green Bay. I really do. I think they make the changes. Um, in that regular season game, they wa- lost what thirty. 30- Six to thirty eight like to that. thirty eight to eight. I yeah, remember because I had the complete. under and it hit by like one point. <laughs> yeah, and and I just don't think that's going to happen again. I think Rogers um, didn't really have a an incredible week last week. He had a great game with Devonte Adams, but overall, I didn't think he had a, a incredible game. Um, I think. Warmer weather and being out in the Bay Area, going back to his hometown, um, he's going to have a heck of a game. And Packers win that defense. The Smith brothers get after Garoppolo. Garoppolo has a down game, and then all the doubters Ooh. come back again and say Garoppolo is not a real uh, um, franchise quarterback. And I think that's what happens. So I think Kansas City, Green Bay. Well, I mean, let's just – on Twitter, come on, Corey. The doubters never leave. They're still there. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> but I want to see a State Farm Super Bowl, man. No, I do not. Oh, my God. Those State Farm <laughs> commercials are awful. I will take Baker Mayfield's 27 progressive commercials any day of the week over those hideous State Farm ads. They're so bad. Nobody does commercials like Peyton Manning, man. Not, oh, not that so is hey. so true. So true. And yeah. Donna McNabb's mom. I mean, she was spectacular, too. Yes, yeah, she was. Phenomenal. She was. All right, my turn. So I think Tennessee comes out running out the gate. Like, that Chiefs defense, they have been playing great, but they've had injuries on the defensive line. Not having Chris Jones possibly again is going to be a big factor for them. Chris Jones has been the meat and bones of that defensive line. Um, Ryan Tannehill is going to have to step up too, and what a great matchup for Tennessee's um, defense. You know, or I'm sorry, Kansas City's defense. They have been suspect year in and year out with their secondary, and Ryan Tannehill, if they rely on the run game, they're going to put eight or nine guys in the box to stop Derrick Henry, which good luck's trying to stop that guy. You know, the the passing lanes are going to be open for Ryan Tannehill. I mean, Ryan Tannehill had a gorgeous pass last Saturday um, one of the touchdown passes was like a 48-yard uh, touchdown to A.J. Green, or not A.J. Green, um, the other guy, A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown. Yeah, it was a gorgeous ball that he threw. 
But mm-hmm. Kansas City can score too. Like, <laughs> let's not forget about that. And Tennessee's defense is not like Houston's defense. Um, these receivers won't get as wide open as those guys did. Tennessee can rush the passer. They have great fast linebackers, which was a really big key in stopping Lamar Jackson. Um, I do think it's going to come down to the last drive, and I think Kansas City will have the ball in, in the last possession, and I think they kick a game-winning field goal like 27-26. to 26. I'm feeling that's like a good score for that game. And I think the 49ers just dominate the Packers like that again. The 49ers do something that's so well that they can rush four guys and keep seven in the secondary and drop them back and play pass coverage, which is really dangerous too. Like the Broncos just did it during their Super Bowl run. These great defenses have done it with the top four guys, being Nick Bosa, um, Oh, dang, who's the other guy that can rush that passer? This Forrest Buckner. Buckner. Like, they're they're stacked up there. And Jimmy Garoppolo can game manage like anything else, and they've got three running backs that can run the football. I think they win at least by two touchdowns, and we're going to get a Kansas City 49ers Super Bowl, and I think 49ers will win that eventually. Say, I I just want to give a little shout-out to uh, Matt LaFleur, the head coach of the Packers, by the way, because that is a – Great job that he's done. I did not think any coaches could get along with Aaron Rodgers. And for a guy to come in there his first year, would they go 13 and 3 this year? Yeah. I mean, well, got a lot of breaks there for him, though. Got a lot of breaks. Yes. A lot of close games that they were kind of able to pull out, a lot of one possession games for them. But that's, I I just feel like that's a, a real statement to any kind of coach quarterback relationship when you're able to pull off those close games. And I think he's going to make a bigger statement to you guys this weekend. But oh, we'll well, <laughs> what do the 49ers do well? They stop the run. They stop the long passes. And they that's do. And, what and, Green Bay does offensively. <laughs> and and that's why I do want to pick San Francisco because also they have home field advantage. But there's one side of the field that San Francisco struggles on. That one cornerback, I can't think of his name right now, but he struggled against Minnesota last week. Oh, the one week that got early. lit up by Stephon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. dude, that and, was dirty. And I, and I think Rodgers attacks him. Rodgers is one of the smartest quarterbacks of all time, and you True. can't deny that. And I think he's going to be smart enough to, to realize the mismatches um, that he's going to have at certain points in the game. I, I love San Francisco's defense, but – I think Rodgers is just going to be smart enough to get rid of the ball. He's going to feel the pressure. Um, he's going to rely on Aaron Jones a lot. And that offensive line is going to have to create the holes. But I think if Green Bay can start fast, I I think they have that game because I don't think San Francisco's offense can really keep up with that kind of, that kind of pace. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's going to be a fascinating championship Sunday to watch. Very intri- intriguing to see who gets to go to Miami and party their faces off for the Super Bowl. So, anyway, um, last subject. The MLB has been making a lot of headlines in January, which you really don't hear about the MLB in January when it's primetime football season. Um, there's been the scandal of the Houston Astros. I'm not sure if you heard, but – They've been involved with some sign stealing via video, and then there was trash cans involved with uh, massage guns in the trash cans. And, um, now there's 
coming up with buzzers now, which is ridiculous. I don't know how a buzzer is going to help you get an advantage in telling what a curveball or a fastball is. But the Astros were involved in it, and on Monday they fight. They um they fired Jeff Lunau and AJ Hinch after the MLB suspended them both for one year. And the Astros also lost a first and second round draft picks in both the 2020 and 2021 MLB draft, plus a fine of five million dollars. And the reports have come out. The details of the investigation have come out. And the main guy was Alex Cora, who was the Red Sox manager now, but was the batting the bench coach back then. And he got fired from his job on Tuesday. And then the one player that's been involved in all this that was all in the reports is Carlos Beltran, who agreed the terms with the Mets to be the next manager for the team. He just got let go today. So there's been a lot of revolving doors around this whole investigation. Corey, what did you think about what all of this means? And do you think the MLB did the right thing? And could potentially the Red Sox be investigation for this with Alex Cortez? This is going to be the biggest MLB investigation of all time. They're not done yet. They're not. Um, with what came out today about the whole buzzing and whatnot, if you remember, Wes, and I, and I know you've probably already seen it on Twitter, um, when Altuve hit that walk-off home run against Chapman and the oh, ALCS. Yeah. Oh, dude, I would he, know. I'm dude, a you, were, you, yeah, you remember. <laughs> You remember when he came to home plate, he said, don't rip my jersey. And then he got his ALCS championship shirt, went to the dugout, took off his jersey, put on that shirt, and came back out for the interview while everyone else was celebrating. Yeah. Tell me that's not suspicious. It's very suspicious. I don't know how a buzzer gives you an advantage before um, deciphering a fastball or whatnot, 96 miles. You got to make a decision like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, but – I like I said, this is going to be an ongoing investigation. I think Boston's getting ready to uh, get the hammer down as well. Once they start uh, putting some pieces together on that investigation, I don't think the Houston investigation is completely over. No, I think players. I think players are gonna, um, especially with what came out today with the whole buzzing and whatnot. I think players are gonna start getting some uh, hefty punishments um, at the end of this. I, I don't even know if I would be surprised if Houston gets their uh, championship taken away from them. Well, if it came out, if the buzzers was big, heavily involved in this, I think for sure you got to vacate that title. Yeah, absolutely. And if, and, and if the Red Sox are in trouble with anything, like this is big, dude. Because then their huge, title is in jeopardy. Huge. And, and as I said to you earlier on Twitter, I said, Wes, why did they need to cheat? They had so much talent, both Houston and uh, Boston. The past, uh, not this past year, but two years prior. Yeah, both Boston teams sucked the, this year. <laughs> yeah, they sucked this year. But the JD Martinez, Mookie Betts, the year that, um, oh my gosh, uh, Steve Pierce had in, in the World Series for them. You know, they were so talented, both teams. And I don't know why you got to cheat in order to win a World Series. But uh, it happens, I guess. You know, it happens in all sports. And you get caught, you get caught. And, wow, this is this is some type of scandal. Yeah, it definitely is. And baseball is the biggest sport to cheat in. It's essentially a game within a game within a game. It's the easiest sport to do it where signals can mean everything for a team. But LA Times has also 
told the Dodgers, like, hey, you take it up to the Supreme Court to get the title vacated and give them the title since they were the victims of the past two World Series with these um, two teams, the Red Sox and the Astros. And then the Yankees as well. They had to play those two teams. So, Roy, what do you think about this? And should they should the title be revoked from this team? I know you're not a big baseball guy, but this is this is one of the biggest cheating scandals of all time, I think. I can't think of anything else close to it. Say the only thing that I could even begin to remotely relate to this would be, you know, the Spygate scandal. And and that doesn't even seem to be on the same scale as this. Not not being a baseball guy, but being a, a sports guy in general, just anything that can give you an unfair advantage that is outside of the rules, if, if it's to this level, I, I don't have an issue with any of these guys losing their jobs. You know, For me, like I guess another comparable thing in football for me would be in Bounty Gate. You know, Greg oh, Williams, yeah. he should have never been able to coach again. And... And personally, I, I, I still feel Sean Payton should have never coached again because either he knew about it and was complacent or he didn't know about it, which to me means he's not that great of a coach or a leader of men. So I, I've always been big on I think you should swing down the hammer when something of this level comes comes around. Yeah. And seeing three guys in a span of, of two days losing their jobs over this that that tells me all i need to know about the seriousness of this and uh, i'm i'm all for any kind of punishment that comes down on these guys yeah the the point of sports is for us to enjoy watching it being played fairly and seeing who's truly the best at it not who can snake their way into looking like they're the best yeah Mm -hmm. and in the report Mm -hmm. it said that aj hints AJ Hinch was against it. He knew it was going on and kept bashing the TVs in the dugout, but he owned up to it. He was like, "Yeah, I kept letting it go." You're you're the manager of the team, dude. Like, stop it cold turkey. Yep. Yeah, a hundred percent. If if you're if you're a man in charge, being a coach or a manager is about being a leader of men, and being a leader of men is about setting an example. When you see something like that, you got to either speak up or put a stop to it yourself. It's unbelievable. I, I really can't think of – you can't even compare this to steroid because that was an individual benefit. It wasn't a team benefit. This is, a, this is championships you're talking about, championships. And I, I can't really compare it to Spygate because it was, a, it was against the New York Jets, for God's sakes. They weren't contenders at all. This is yeah. dealing with championship moments. During the postseason, they were doing this. Yeah. I don't know how a massage gun is going to give you the cue of a splitter down the middle, but the banging the trash cans, you could see in statistics that the away and home batting difference is remarkably different. Like they were such significantly better batting at home, and it's a big ballpark. I think it's one of the biggest in the MLB. Mm. No, I. I... Honestly, feel bad for Carlos Beltran. I think he would have been a really good manager for the New York Mets. Um, and, and he, he apologized. He, for to, it. he came yeah. out. He was the best apology out of all three of them. Yep. He said he wanted to stay, but in reality, with the New York media, they are going to just continually ask you about it. And oh yeah, we you, are. Yeah, you, you're, you're eventually going to have to confess. And. That would have been such a distraction to the Mets, and the Mets had so many distractions last year that they just can't keep going down that road. And I think that's why 
both parties agreed to part ways. Um, it was the best move because, you know, this investigation is just getting way, way too big. Um, it's not done yet either. No, it, it's not. And, and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing that it's getting way, way too big, but because uh, it needs to. But, um, yeah, they, they made the right decision. Uh, Cora admitting that he was all for it was really shocking. Um, I thought Cora was a great guy, but now looking at it, man, I, I don't even know what to think. Yeah, I mean, you really got to look at it, being the Yankee fan. What I remember is the Red Sox blowing out Luis Severino in, like, one inning. It was 14-1. to one. How much of that was, like, yeah. the sign stealings? You got to think now. You got to really put the asterisks against everything now and be like, well, was that a sign of sign stealing from center field or – was there a trash can involved where you could hear like buzzers? It's it's ridiculous. Like baseball yeah. is a big part of their whole brand is like the integrity of the game. They stress that more than every other sport. And to come down like this is kind of good for the league. And I would say the publicity right now. I mean, we're everyone's talking about this. And this is like NFL playoffs, a college football national championship. Stealing the headlines, and we're still a month away from spring training. I think this is sort of good publicity to a certain point, but yeah, it's great publicity because uh, when have you ever seen three managers go down a month before spring training? Within and now two all days. three, yeah, <laughs> and and now all all three teams have to find a new manager, and I think uh, Boston and Houston at least had a really good chance of, of winning the American League pennant this year besides the Yankees. And then the Mets, who knows what they would have been able to do. They have some good talent. Um, and and they're the poised for a run. Show. Yeah. Um, they're poised for a run, but you, you don't know what you got ultimately unless you get a good manager in there. And I thought they did with Beltron, but, you know, with this investigation, you, you just you never know. <laughs> this makes Bill Belichick look like an angel. <laughs> I know <laughs> – I know, uh, not knowing much about baseball myself, but I've heard this thrown around by baseball guys who I'm, I'm tight with. And uh, the commissioner of the league, Manfred, right? Is that his name? Manfred. Manfred. I, yeah. I've seen people say that this guy doesn't even like the sport of baseball from the way that he's apparently conducted himself or decisions. Well, yeah, he juiced made. the balls. He, he totally juiced the balls for more home runs. It's crazy. So, yeah, so just to hear that, I think this is obviously good for him, and I think the harder that he comes down on these guys, the better it will look for him because I know baseball fans as a whole, I think sports fans as a whole never like their own commissioners of their leagues, but I think this would be a good look for Manfred to really put the hammer down and, again, like you said, Wes, stress the integrity of the game to him. They do it more than anyone else does. Yeah, so I work in the MLB network, it's – Pretty much everywhere. So I've got a hypothetical for you guys here. Say, say they say they do strip the Astros of their title. Do you pull a Reggie Bush Heisman and just award nobody the title that year? Because then the Yankees could make an argument that they should have been in the World Series that year. Yeah, uh, the Dodgers obviously it. say we were in second place, you know, so obviously we should get it. We were in the World Series. Did we get down into a nitty-gritty, like, sort of messy situation like that here in the coming weeks? It does get messy. It gets really messy. Stripping a title Um, is massive. It is is massive. 
And I don't think huge. I've ever seen them when, when a title is stripped, and it doesn't happen often, especially in pro sports, but in the collegiate level where it, where it may have happened, they don't award anybody that, that championship. And that year just kind of goes by. I don't think you can really award it to anyone after you strip it. I, I really don't. You can't punish the team either because it's a professional sports team, and they have they have an owner that put money invested in the Houston Astros and Boston Red Sox are probably top five in MLB revenue. So it's not like an SMU scenario where you give them the death penalty for a year. Yeah, you, can't, you can't do that. Weird. Sure. It's such a weird situation because you can't give it to the Dodgers because they lost. You can't give it to the Yankees. You can't give it to anybody. So if you are going to take that chance and stripping a title away from that team, you're just going to have to vacate it. I mean, yeah, you can, you know, have the memories, keep the rings or whatever, but we're taking, you know, the accolade back or something like that. It's it's nuts if they do go that route. And I don't know how you would be able to do that, pull that off. There, there might be a a precedent. I don't. The white, the Chicago White Sox. Oh, the Black Sox or the Black Sox had one stripped, yeah. I think. And I don't, I don't know if they awarded it to somebody else that year. I, I'm not brushed up on my MLB history. No, but I, I know, I, I've heard that, I've heard that situation a hundred times growing up in my life. I don't know, Corey. What do you think? Do you think they will actually strip the Houston Astros of this title if more evidence is found. And what about the Red Sox? Would the Red Sox get stripped as well if the investigations come true? I th- I think more has to be brought out about what came out today. Um, yeah. Once once that happens, it, the severity of what they did and, and what they were doing to cheat, I think will ultimately determine how – the MLB approaches stripping a title from the Astros. Man, the Red Sox situation, you just don't even know because uh, Cora admitted to doing it while at Houston, but how can you prove that he did it at Boston? To me, that that's a really sticky You will situation. have to have a whistleblowers type situation. This yeah. is how it got brought up, you know? Right. It became public. Right, and I, I just... That's a sticky situation with the with the Red Sox, but Houston ultimately, I think something's going to happen with the players. I I really do. I don't think the players can get away with something like this. Well, I think they're protected extreme. by the players' association by some sort. That there, there's got to be something. Yeah, I think they're protected from what I was hearing talking to um one of the guys that does work at MLB Network um that was down the hall from my office. Uh, he was saying that like some players association contract that they agreed that like some sort of investigations, if it was dealing with the team and not the players, that their names would be brought out. If they were an active player, if they were not, then their names can be brought up. That's why you hear about Carlos Beltran all the time with this yeah, investigation. This, I think this, this is something weird. This is a huge investigation. I don't know if you can like just brush it off. Yeah. yeah. Kind of weird. Just, especially with, uh, I think I even saw a picture of Bregman sitting in a post-conference interview with his jersey off, and he was wearing like a tank top kind of uh, shirt, and you could see this like little patch on his chest. And I don't know what the patch was, but man, that's... <laughs> don't argue. It's a tobacco patch. I, I was trying to quick. No, it, it, it's like. <laughs> 
That goes on your arm, Wes. Come on, let's be real. <laughs> Yo, they, people say some stupid things when they're getting investigated for shit. <laughs> yeah. You got Alex Bregman chain smoking right now. Come on. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he could drink it up. I, I'm not ruling that out. <laughs> You're absolutely right. But I, it's confetti from the, the race eight to one in the regular season game. Uh, you, who knows? Yeah. They can yeah. deflect. And then the whole. The whole Altuve thing that I brought up earlier in the ALCS, that is just, to me, that's really sketchy. Yeah. Shady, sketchy, whatever you want to say about it. Man, that is, um, that's something that's going to be really looked into over the next coming days. You were about to say something, Roy? I was just going to say, they're some of the players' best chances at uh, getting this out of the news is just trying to deflect to the Odell Beckham quote-unquote scandal oh yeah <laughs> we're not handing out money to collegiate athletes look over that way we're not slapping police on the rear end yeah yeah look at that guy oh you're but how, how about that like you can this guy just like get out of media and let the kids enjoy their national championship i like, know he's, yeah. he's gonna expect his own ring i bet yeah right he didn't do shit for lsu that year <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one thing about this whole thing um, because I saw about it today on NFL Live and it really kind of upset me. What the Odell? Um, as yeah. Oh, okay. Um, as they were talking about it, it almost seemed like they didn't think Odell was in the wrong for slapping an officer's buttocks, and um, to me, that's just wrong. Yeah. How can you not put him in the wrong for that? They were saying how uh, that officers in like their space and whatnot, their locker room, whatever. But that officer is he was hired. doing his job. Yeah, he was doing his job. And whether or not um, Odell was right or wrong, that's authority. And you, like, <laughs> I mean, he slapped him right on the rear end. That's that's so solid, isn't it? I mean. At least battery, unwanted touching. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it just kind of turned me off hearing that on NFL Live today. It, it just didn't fly well. Yeah, he stole the shining, um, the compromise of those LSU athletes that pulled off an incredible year and an incredible feat and tried to make it about himself, trying to get every single camera pointed his way. I've been defending Odell with like the whole – production going down and stuff i thought that was you know the head coaching situations and baker mayfield's play because the offensive line but like still this guy just i saw it during uh lsu tweeted out like when orzron was talking lsu or uh, odell was champion that yeah that championship hype video after they won everything they put together this video and he's in in the locker room you know talking over ed ogeron and it's just like, dude, get, get out of the way. Like, this Shut up. I'm talking to my players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he yelled at them for, having a pre- for talking over a press conference. I mean, I would have, like, came out. Like, if it was Nick Saban, Nick Saban would probably throw a water bottle at him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Odell. Uh, uh, dude. He is. So is AB right now. I- I'm glad Rosenthal well, is not. <laughs> Do I, we could, I don't we could do a whole that. podcast episode on just talking about Antonio Brown. Yeah. Who, 
sooner or later you could be like oj simpson all right well guys that is all the time we have for today we thank you for joining us if you have any suggestions or comments going forward give us a message leave us a comment like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at brobench uh we keep you up to date on every headline throughout the week on those pages especially with this mlb investigation going on you probably want to keep up to date with that and we are available on spotify anchor google Podcasts, and anywhere you can find podcast streaming services Again, thank you for listening, boys. Any last thoughts? A couple things. Go Rogers. And, no. uh, oh, no. That, you can't do Ed Orgeron with Green Bay. It only works in Louisiana. Go Rogers. <laughs> and, and, and Matt LeFleur. Go Packers. All right. You could just say go Pack Go. That would have been a lot better. But anyway. Nah, you got to throw the LeFleur in there. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. You know, it's just a great time with the gumbo and the. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Get Joe Burrow down here for another season, and uh, Ray Baker his ass. You know, you know we're gonna beat the hell out of Crimson Tide. You watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I must explain. You can find me on Twitter. Explain it. Uh, make sure you go follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and you can find this anywhere. You can find podcast streaming services. Thank you for listening. We hope you join us next time on Bench Bros. We out. Bye.